0: It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornsheen. Well, everybody, welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornchain. I'm the senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley, right here in Colorado Springs. And I am so excited you are tuning in because we are continuing in our study of 1 Corinthians. And now we have finally moved into chapter 2. So if you missed chapter 1's study, well, it was several weeks. You can go back to calvaryfountain.com and there click under our audio and video button, and you'll see a link there for the radio and podcast, and you can listen to all of these messages and more. You can even go back and watch our sermons uh, from the video archive as well. Certainly encourage you to do that. But here we're going to pick up and hopefully cover the first five verses of chapter two, but let me start off with this. You know, on February of uh, February 23rd, in fact, of 2007, there was this group of American tourists that embarked on a Carnival Cruise Line tour. And they were in Costa Rica, and a dozen senior citizens got off the ship to take a bus tour. Now, after they were doing all their sightseeing at the local beach, the seniors tour bus was held up by three assailants they had armed they had weapons in their hands uh, firearms and knives and one of the men, who is a 70-year-old retired member of the U.S. military, overpowered one of these three muggers. And he was about 20 years of age. And so the 70-year-old man grabs him, puts him in a headlock in a sleeper hold, and then the other senior citizens grab the other two and hold them until the authorities can arrive. So they were able to thwart what could have been a disastrous situation. And I believe that sometimes... The most unlikely people experience sometimes the most amazing opportunities, Uh, opportunities to really step out and step up, that God calls us to do something unusual, something we don't think is even in us to do. And and we'll see that here with the Apostle Paul, that he has been challenged, he's been stretched out of his comfort zones, that God is using him for his own purposes And now Paul is going to really lay claim to the fact that anything that is coming out of me is from God. And we've been spending a great deal of time in this over the last few weeks that we often think we have to have some sort of pedigree to be used by God. We have to have the right education, the right circumstances to step out and step up. And here I believe that what we're going to see through this section is really a call back to the reality that God is using the most unusual of people, (laughs) and yours truly included, to do His great work. He, He uses the ones that the world often looks down on. He looks to the heart while the world looks to the exterior. He knows the ones that are in contrite spirit before Him and the ones that He can empower to do mighty things. Outside of what they could ever think themselves possible to, to do in their own flesh, right? So the ministry of preaching is often conducted by unlikely people through unusual means. So few Christians will disagree, the, the, the fact they'll say that preaching is an essential, but they they disagree on how God often calls these folks. And some think that they, that the preachers are, are the same as the pastors. And that's not the same. Most of us don't consider ourselves to be preachers, yet the sobering reality is that God calls all of us to be preachers in Jesus Christ. We have to right away break out of that paradigm that pastoring and preaching is the same. It's not. In fact, go back to Romans chapter 10, verses 14 to 15 on that, that God is the one who does the empowering. I'm not talking about teachers. Some are gifted by the Holy Spirit to be teachers. Some gifted to be pastors. We go to Romans chapter 12, verses 3 to 8 on that. I'm talking about preachers, and there is a difference. You see, preaching is often summarized in our culture as delivering a sermon or some kind of religious address, but the definition of preaching is the action of earnestly advocating or proclaiming a belief or course of action. So that just changed the whole game. That that means that we can all be preachers as we earnestly advocate for Jesus Christ. And Paul has demonstrated that God deliberately chooses the perceived foolish and weak methods, including weak messengers, to shame those who are wise and strong. So here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, Paul uses himself as a prime example of foolishness and weakness. In these five verses, we will learn the effectiveness of the preacher and the, that preaching lies in one's dependence on God's power, not, not their strength, his strength. So, number one, we're gonna learn that the content of our message must be Christ. And number two, the delivery of our message must be God's power. In other words, God's looking for cross-eyed preachers, Okay, individuals who, whose eyes are totally focused on Him. Here's what we read, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. So Paul reflects back on his year and a half ministry here in Corinth. We know it was a year and a half. You go to Acts chapter 18, verses one to eighteen, and he begins by reminding the Corinthians how he did not preach. I did not come, dot dot dot. Paul has not dazzled his listeners. He just simply proclaimed the truth about God, and and now this was unusual because here in first century Corinth. If you had lived at that particular time, you would know that the Greek orators, they uh, were often very well-spoken individuals. They had a lot of Greek rhetoric, extensive quotations, literary allusions, refined style. They were brilliant, witty, charming, and entertaining. And Paul utterly rejected this approach to preaching. Although he could have done that, he, if he was a well-educated Pharisee he was a son of a Pharisee according to Acts 23:6 he knew Greek Hebrew Aramaic and Latin he trained at the feet of Gamaliel according to Acts 22:3 so he could hold his own in any argument if he wanted to show off his intellect he certainly could have done that and we know he could have in Philippians chapter 3 verses 2 to 11 but he rejects that approach. instead he says it's to proclaim the testimony of God. The testimony, the word testimony, is a legal word that refers to something one presents in a court of law. So Paul was conscious, he was conscious of the fact that God is a judge. He's conscious of this very real fact that God sits on his throne. He is fully in control. He's fully reigning with authority, and he's also a judge. So he was speaking in the presence of a judge, and he was presenting his witness, according to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. So Paul was not preaching his testimony about God. He's preaching God's testimony about God. The testimony. You can almost put a capital T on that. The testimony. But preaching is not just for preachers, not just for pastors, as we might think of it today. You can preach. And you can preach with authority of truth to people in your life, to all of your sphere of influence. Ultimately, the world cannot deny the power of transformation that occurs when someone is really following the Savior. So you're a preacher. And you will preach the loudest, most effective sermon with your life, not just with your lips. There's a message that you preach, and there's a message that you live. And in Christ, they will align. And you say, well, I don't preach. Well, Moses didn't think he could preach. And so God gave him a stick and told him to stretch it out, and he did, and waters moved. Lazarus preached by obeying and walking out of his his grave clothes even alive. He didn't say a word, and yet lives were changed. Mary, the sister of Lazarus, preached by washing Jesus' very feet with perfume. It it was a year's wage of, of cost involved in that perfume. And then she wiped his feet with her very hair. She had been through the stuff of life, but she gave all that she had to the very feet of Jesus, according to Luke 7, 36-50. We think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They preached by being bold and obedient and then walking out of the fire not smelling like smoke. And some of you have been through the fire. Daniel preached by coming out of the lion's den. King Darius looked into the den and shouted, Has your God delivered you? And Daniel poetically replies, Yes. (laughs) That was a sermon, my friends. I'm telling you, has God delivered you out of trials and fire? Then how do you beat the devil? When someone asks you if your God delivered you, you say yes. And now you're preaching you're boldly proclaiming his testimony look what god has done i have been the work and the recipient and and, and even partaking and viewing and observing what god has done and then you proclaim the great work of what god has done and he did it through jesus christ our lord on that cross and he continues to work in and through us today so you got to think about could you could you host a bible study It's your job. Maybe it's your home. As a small business owner, how can you even preach to your employees? You see, preaching doesn't require a large crowd in an auditorium. You can preach wherever God has placed you to serve him. And so the only question is, will you answer his call and proclaim his testimony? You see, God is looking for cross-eyed preachers. Verse 2, we read, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So again, he's Proclaiming about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The word translated "I determined" means that Paul made a conscience, a conscious decision, a choice to do the things a certain way, and that same choice confronts every Christian messenger. It's easy to be sidetracked by good and worthwhile things. I mean, we certainly have a list of those. You probably receive a number of them in the mail of all sorts of charitable efforts that you could be a part of any type of service at your church. We can get involved even in social social issues or political debates or even the crisis in the Middle East or the decline of the family, Bible prophecy. That's a big one. Predestination or even the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But there is a place for all of those things, and that place is never at the center. It's all about Jesus Christ. For Paul, the clear choice was Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He started there, and that became the center of his preaching. Once the center was in place, every other truth of God's Word could be arranged around that. It always centered around Jesus Christ. So we must start at the baseline. Remember, the cross Runs through it. We talked about that last week. So this verse cannot be taken as if the only doctrine Paul teaches, but rather it is the centrality of the message that he is teaching. It's it's not enough for us to say Jesus was a great moral teacher or, or that he simply came down from heaven or born of a virgin. God himself came down to earth in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he died on the cross, he paid the ultimate penalty to deliver us from our sins. And through his resurrection, thus we have eternal life if we confess this profound truth that Jesus is Lord. Now think about it. If people want to know about sports... Or the latest news. They can read all about it online or simply turn on their television. And these days you can watch Fox News or a bunch of other news channels. You can surf the net, watch 500 channels, listen to the radio. If it's news or sports or weather or the latest world crisis, there's plenty of ways to follow the story. But if you want to know how to be right with God, if you want to know how to have your sins forgiven, if you want to know how to go to heaven, then you need the message Paul was preaching. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Let's go on. Verses 3 to 5, we read I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You see, Paul did not come to Corinth with any degree of self confidence. He says, in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And I think many of us can relate with that when thinking of the times we've shared the gospel with others. Hopefully you've done that at least once, and you probably were intimidated by it. Well, Corinth was a hard city. It was a hard place to minister in. And Paul's reception there had discouraged him to the point that preaching was difficult because of the inner doubts and uncertainty that he faced. And and many of the people that were accustomed to hearing eloquent messages, very encouraging, philosophical messages, and he wasn't competing with that. He was just giving the truth of God's Word. And a lot of times we can find ourselves in this culture doing the same things, appealing to perhaps the one-verse sermon that sounds so good, and yet missing the depth and richness of God's holy word. You know that there's over 31,000 verses in the Bible? If you only read one verse a week, it's going to take you 598 years to get through the Bible. I don't have that kind of time, and I know you don't have that kind of time. So we need the meat. We've got to get off the milk and get into the depth of God's word and take it in daily. That's why the psalmist said, daily... I meditate on your word. Day and night, I meditate on this. And, it, you know, that is a great illustration of the fact that, you know, we may not fully always understand what we're reading, but we meditate on it. We dwell on it. We pray on it. We abide with the Lord in truth. And we must abide in his word in order to do that. And that's a daily effort, a daily assignment to be in his holy word. And if we want to understand it, we need to ask him. And the Holy Spirit will give us discernment and understanding. So he wasn't this, he, Paul, wasn't this picture of confident self-assurance that many of us may associate with the apostle the apostle Paul I mean we may when we say the word the or those two words together apostle Paul we may naturally think that this must have been just some superhero of the faith this guy never had any or demonstrated any weakness he seemed to be impervious to that right No, if you go back to 2 Corinthians and read through 2 Corinthians, you'll see a man who was very transparent about his brokenness, about his sorrows even, being brought to the end of his life, just that God might be glorified, all that God would be praised, even through his weaknesses. So he responded in a totally human fashion, which is sometimes that he needed to find encouragement. And, and And Paul was seeking those even from the church around him, the people around him to give him encouragement, and like Paul, you may live and serve around difficult people and and, and it's tough <laughs> don't don't look at that person next to you right now, okay, so if you're driving next to somebody, don't look at them. I'm not talking about them necessarily, but you may live and serve around difficult people, maybe maybe you work in an environment that's very difficult at times, and, and we want to serve Christ, and we want to speak up for him, but sometimes it can feel downright scary. And nevertheless, we press on. And even when we find ourselves tongue-tied or just plain forget what we're supposed to say, we must still strive to preach. And occasionally someone asks me if I get scared or nervous before I preach, and the answer is yes. And it happens every single time, no matter how many times I've preached or how well I've prepared, there's always a sense of nervousness that comes just before I stand up or even before I come to this microphone. And I hope I don't ever lose that, because if I do, I need to stop preaching. If speaking about Christ ever stops making us anxious or excited, then something has gone wrong inside of us. We need a holy nervousness when we witness to others, lest we fail the Lord or fail the person whom we're speaking to. It keeps us humble and dependent on Him, ultimately sharp in His Word, dependent on Him to speak through us as He tells us that He will do. Often He says, all I need you to do is step up, be bold and courageous, I'll do the rest. He tells the prophets that he'll put his words to their lips. He only needs them to go. So doesn't it give us some comfort to know that Paul was as human as we are? (laughs) That he got nervous? That he made mistakes? That he got discouraged at times? I love how transparent that Paul is with us in Romans chapter 7, verses 15 to 20 and 24 to 25. We read, For what I am doing, I do not understand. (laughs) For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. It is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. O oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. I love the how, how transparent he is right there. That he knows what he's supposed to be doing, and yet how easy it is to do the thing he's not supposed to do. Right? I mean, we all struggle with that. It is a daily battle, and this is why he says he disciplines himself daily. You've heard him say, I buffet myself daily. I box myself to conform it to the image of Christ. So as I consider his life, I realize that nothing in Paul could explain his success except God. Paul himself quoted his opponents who said of him, for his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. That's what his critics said about Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10. How would you like that on your review on Google? That your your letters may seem weighty and powerful, powerful, but your body is weak and your speech contemptible. <laughs> Boy, I can identify with that sometimes. So we do have this early description of Paul that comes from outside the New Testament. That it was a he, we were told that he's a man of middling size, and his hair was scanty, and his legs were a little crooked, and his knees were far apart, and he had large eyes, and his eyebrows met. And his nose was somewhat long. Now, th- this is from a an outs- extra biblical source, and we always got to be careful with that. And it's an ancient text, the Acts of Paul, and uh, you know you'll find that uh, online. If you can go back and read that, you'll see for yourself that this was the description that was given to the Apostle Paul, not, not complimentative at all. Uh, f- in fact, saying that he had a unibrow, that he was a short, stocky man, that he was of middling size. And here it says that his, his appearance was weak, according to 2 Corinthians 10.10, 10, and his speech contemptible. So Paul really had no issue with sort of elevating himself physically. He, he didn't see himself in that light. He was certainly no first century Chris Hemsworth or anything like that. Uh, but, you know, it's it's definitely uh, encouraging, perhaps, to all of us, the fact that, you know, we don't have to look the part. We often put ourselves in this under this magnifying glass, so we have to look a certain way, sound a certain way, have a certain degree, a certain pedigree, as I talked about at the very beginning of this program, and somehow those are the individuals that God can use. And we have to be reminded that even King David wasn't amongst his brothers. His own father, Jesse, didn't think he would be qualified to be king, and yet God saw the heart of, of young David. He knew the man that he would become in him, a man after his own heart. Now imagine two members of the Corinthian church meeting at a marketplace one day, and they say, hey, who's preaching this Sunday? And to one replies to the other, well, Paul, And the other guy says, Paul, oh no, I've invited my neighbors to church this Sunday, and I thought Dr. Smarty Pants was preaching. Paul is just not very attractive. He's hard to understand. He's too deep for me, and his sermons are so long. Didn't you hear about what happened to poor Eutychus? (laughs) You go back to Acts chapter 20 on that, verses 7 to 12. So Luke even said that he talked a little long. <laughs> Paul was talking on and on until midnight. And that poor boy fell out of the third story window and died. And Paul killed one of his congregants because his message was too long. So, I mean, how, you can see how this guy's sitting there going, Oh, great. So this guy's preaching on Sunday. How am I going to explain that to my neighbors? Yet Paul was all about the power of the Spirit. He knew that he wasn't preaching his testimony. He's preaching the testimony of the Lord. And the power of God was given to him to preach the power of God presented through the cross, according to 1 Corinthians 1.18. So Paul's concern throughout the passage isn't about his own self-reliance. He's trying to address the fact that we may rely on ourselves too much, and he wants to deflect that. He wants to show that his strength and anything good that's come out of him is because of God. He just doesn't want us to rely on our own gifts and strength. You know, it's funny to me, because in the late 1990s, A British company had developed a product called Spray-On Mud so that the city dwellers could give their expensive 4x4 vehicles the appearance of having been used on a weekend, like they had gone on some long off-road excursion, and the mud is even filtered to remove stones and debris so it didn't scratch the paint. And you'd think that just seems absurd, but the product sold wonderfully. It was all image and no substance, like living your life through the image of what we create on Facebook without actually living life that we say that we live, right? So so when it comes to preaching, there are many who are more concerned with the outside than the inside. The Bible was written in Koine Greek, the language of the common man at that time. And, and many say that we must read the Bible in the original Hebrew somehow to properly understand it. As as you may know, the Bible was actually written in Koine Greek. In fact, the Septuagint was compiled in Egypt. It was first compiled of the original 39 books that there was the entire Old Testament completely written, the first time compiled together and written in Greek from Hebrew scrolls. And that project began in 285 BC. So Koine Greek and Aramaic were actually the primary languages spoken during the time of Christ. And this is why the New Testament was written in Koine Greek as well. So God wants us not to rely on all of our seminary expertise and all of our training in these areas, but to rather understand that the Bible was even written and assembled so that the average man could read it, understand it, disseminate it, and apply it so that they too could go forth and be bold preachers with the truth. And that's why the first curriculum in America, the first Uh, curriculum in schools, the New England Primer was completely based out of the Bible, so that we would be educated with the Bible, understand truth, know the truth, and ultimately that the truth would set us free. So our desire is that we should say, what a wonderful Savior. Everything pointing back to Him. Let me read to you Luke chapter 12, verses 8 to 12. Also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, "...him, the Son of Man, will also confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven." Now, when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Now, he's not refuting the fact that we should meditate on his word as David did, but rather that we should not cower at the opportunities to share the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, because this is a promise to empower us with the words to speak. He will Put the words that we need to our mouths if we are willing and of contrite spirit, according to Jeremiah 1-9 and Isaiah fifty one sixteen. So again, I hope you've been encouraged by this. Let me leave you with this. I encourage you to pray for a prepared heart. Meditate on his scripture. Listen to God's people and focus on on the essentials. Become a cross-eyed preacher, a cross-eyed messenger of God. Keep your focus on Jesus Christ. Remember the central message of Jesus Christ, Him crucified, and His powerful resurrection that gives us life eternal. I hope you are encouraged, my friends. If you are looking for a fellowship to go deeper into God's words with others, then come check us out at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley. You can learn more at Calvary Fountain .com Services are at 10 a.m. on Sunday. We also have an early service for you early birds at 8 a.m., so 8 a.m. and 10 a.m., so come out and worship with us. I know you'll be blessed. Learn more at CalvaryFountain.com. God bless you.